0: This podcast is brought to you by the Reformed Witness Committee of Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Walker, Michigan. It is our goal to spread our distinct Protestant Reformed views based on the Word of God and the Reformed Confessions. We hope that this message is edifying to you. The following is a sermon preached on a Heidelberg Catechism Lord's Day. For more sermons, see our sermon audio page. We read God's Word this morning in Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. There's a preposition, in, especially when it speaks of being in Christ, which, children, you are to watch out for in this Scripture reading. When the Bible speaks of being in Christ, it is speaking of faith. Faith in Him. Let's read Colossians chapter 2. For I would that he knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words, for though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith. In Christ, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with Him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with Him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised Him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath He quickened together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to His cross." And having spoiled principalities and powers, He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore judge you in meat, or in drink, or in respect of an holy day, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. Let no man beguile you of your reward, in a voluntary humility, and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding the head, which from all the body by joints and bands have nourishment, minister, and knit together, increaseth with the increase of God. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not, which all are to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men, which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. We read that far in God's holy and inspired Word. On the basis of that portion of Scripture, As well as on the basis of many other parts of God's holy word, we have the teaching of the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 7. Lord's Day 7. Are all men then, as they perished in Adam, saved? By Christ? The answer, no, only those who are engrafted into Him and receive all His benefits by a true faith. What is true faith? True faith is not only a certain knowledge whereby I hold for truth all that God has revealed to us in His Word, but also an assured confidence which the Holy Ghost works by the Gospel in my heart, that not only to others, but to me also, remission of sin, everlasting righteousness, and salvation are freely given by God, merely of grace, only for the sake of Christ's merits. What is then necessary for a Christian to believe? All things promised us in the Gospel, which the articles of our Catholic, undoubted Christian faith briefly teach us. And what are these articles? I believe in God the Father, Almighty, Maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence He shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost. I believe in holy Catholic Church the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, as we engage in this element of worship called the preaching and hearing of God's Word, we must understand that this is not a mere intellectual exercise, but this is an exercise of faith. It's essential. That is, that during the preaching of the Word, our faith is engaged. That is, you must be believing. You see, the sermon this morning is not only about faith. It is that but it is a call to faith. It is a sermon that is preached out of faith. as a sermon that is to be received by faith. A true faith. Not a fake faith, not a counterfeit faith, but a genuine faith. A faith that God shows us is true faith in His Word. In 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5, we read, Examine yourselves whether ye be in the faith. So one of the questions I ask you this morning to start is this. Do you have this kind of faith? It's a personal question. It's not a question to everyone in general, but it's a question to you specifically as you listen as an individual in the church of Jesus Christ. Do you have faith? And if you find this morning, as you listen to the sermon that describes true faith, that the kind of faith that is being described is not the faith that you have in your heart, then the calling is believe. The calling is not live in doubt, and do not preach doubt, but rather the opposite of doubt, which is faith, believe. And may the Spirit who works with the preaching about faith and the call to faith in Jesus Christ, may that Spirit work with His Word that you might have true faith. And if in examining yourself, you find that you do have faith already, that you do believe as you listen to God's Word, then the calling really is the same. Believe. With stronger faith, and may the Spirit work with the preaching of the word to strengthen that faith because your faith and my faith is yet weak and must be strengthened. Do you have faith? There are many counterfeit faiths to discern from genuine faith. Obviously, there is the fake faith of other religions. They're called different faiths, but really they're not faiths at all because they do not have faith in the proper object. They believe all kinds of gods and a false Christ. False Christianity and cults do not have true faith. No real faith at all. But also you know that even within Institute churches, and even within true institute churches, there are many who may do outwardly all kinds of externally good works, what looks like good works, but do not have true faith. They're merely outwardly members of a church. True faith is that within the heart. It's not merely brain knowledge, though it will involve a brain reception of information, but faith is a knowledge of the heart. It's not only about truth, but it is that which takes a hold of the person of Jesus Christ. It is not a historical faith. It is about truth in the past. Now, since I already know doctrines, I have faith. No. It's a faith that continues to cling to Jesus Christ as explained by those doctrines. It's not a temporary faith, a faith that is based merely on feelings going up and down. There's a certain knowledge and an assured confidence that continues through life. Very importantly, you must have true faith. And the Catechism shows us how serious it is that you must have true faith because no faith means no salvation. It asks, are all men as they perished in Adam saved by Jesus Christ? And the Catechism's answer is no. And in short, the explanation is only those with faith are saved. All perish in Adam. But only those in Jesus Christ are saved. You remember with me that in the past Lord's days, the catechism has been explaining our misery, our depravity. All have spiritually died or perished with Adam. It has explained not only our misery, but in the last two Lord's days, we have seen the explanation of our mediator, that He must be very God and very man and perfectly righteous. Righteous. And so the natural question now is whether this Savior who is very God, very man, and perfectly righteous saves everyone, every single person head for head. And you know, many, many in this world answer, yes. There is a universalism taught. And different kinds or variations of such universalism taught everywhere. All are saved, they say. At least in the end, after maybe some suffering in a purgatory or hell, in the end all are saved. There's pluralism and polytheism. Most are saved, they say. While some of the really, really, really bad people aren't, but most, especially if they do more good than evil, all religions and all gods lead to the same God, and in the end all are saved. Or most are saved. The postmodern mentality today is, while love, a feeling of love, is that since God is love, then we feel like everyone must be saved, and therefore everyone will be saved. Arminianism and its related teaching of common grace teaches that God at least desires that everyone will be saved. And that kind of teaching also leads to a universalism, because if God wants everyone to be saved, then They all will. But against all of this, the catechism on the basis of God's Word brings us to that hard, that difficult truth. No, not all men are saved. And behind that answer, we as Reformed people know, not all are saved because God did not choose or elect to save all. But He unconditionally chose to save only some in Jesus Christ. We know as Reformed people that all men are not saved because Christ did not come to die for all men head for head, but there is a limited atonement. He died only for those whom God had chosen unconditionally from before the foundations of the world. But an equally reformed answer does not come into contradiction with election and limited atonement, is this only those in whom He works faith are saved. Not because faith causes that salvation, as we will see, but because all those whom God has chosen in His good pleasure and all those whom God has sent Christ to die for, in all those, He does work this gift of faith. Do you have true faith? Consider with me, Hottobre Catechism, Lord's Day 7, its doctrine according to Scripture under the theme, true faith, First, the nature of faith. Second, the necessity of faith. And then finally, the object of faith. What is faith? The definition of faith is this. Faith is a living bond. Faith is a living bond whereby the heart clings with true knowledge and assured confidence, to Jesus Christ as He is revealed in the Word. True faith is a living bond whereby the heart clings with true knowledge and confidence to Jesus Christ as He is revealed in His Word. Now focus with me on that first part of the definition that I gave you. Faith is a living bond. And you find in those two words two aspects of one faith that Scripture teaches us about. Two ideas that make up the essence of faith. Faith is a living bond. That is, it is both an activity, that's the living part, it's an activity and it is a bond, a living bond. That's the essence of faith. And I start this morning, In this sermon, I start on the activity of faith, though chronologically and in your life, the bond must come first. But the most common way that Scripture speaks of faith is that it is an activity, an activity of the heart. The most simple definition, children, of faith is this, faith is believing in Jesus Do you have faith? And the child can say with true faith, yes, I believe. I believe in Jesus Christ. I cling to him. I rest in him. I lean on him. I hold to him. I embrace him. When the apostles called God's people to faith, they said, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. When the Philippian jailer asked, what must I do to be saved? Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Acts 16, verse 31. That believing is faith. Colossians 2, verse 6 that we read this morning speaks of the activity of faith when it uses the word received. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in Him. Now, distinguish between the word walk and received. The word walk, we know, is talking about Obedience, good works, living a godly life. That's not faith, but the reception of Jesus Christ. Since you have received Christ by faith, Paul is saying, now, out of that faith walk. Faith is not the walking, faith is the reception of Jesus Christ, that activity. Yes, yes, we must be careful. He must give to you Himself that you might receive Him. He must draw you to Himself that you might receive Him. He must work in you to receive Him. But faith is indeed that activity of receiving Christ. That's the Belgian Confession, Article 22 as well. The Holy Spirit kindleth in our hearts an upright faith which embraces Jesus Christ appropriates Him and seeks nothing more besides Him. It is this embracing, this appropriating, this taking a hold of Him with the heart. The Catechism, Lord's Day 7, speaks of faith as an activity of the child of God. In fact, it emphasizes faith as an activity. What is true faith? It asks the question flat out. What is true faith? True faith is not only a certain knowledge whereby i hold for truth all that god has revealed in his word but also an assured confidence it speaks of faith as the activity of the heart that faith is an activity is not to say that faith is a good work some Christ, some confusion has been among us lately, but Scripture and the confessions distinguish between faith and even the activity of faith and works. When Scripture speaks of faith and works, it places faith and works in different categories. Good works are the inevitable result or the fruit of faith. But it is not, they are not faith. The activity of faith is not going and obeying your parents. The activity of faith is not even walking and making sure you keep the Sabbath day and coming to church. The activity of faith is not the good works that you do. The activity of faith is that of holding for truth. What God has revealed in His Word, especially clinging to Jesus Christ. Especially when we talk about justification, but really every aspect of salvation, we must distinguish between the activity of faith and good works. Romans 4, verse 5, But to him that worketh not, but to him that worketh not, but believeth, On him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Why do I begin that way? Why is the activity of faith important? Why do I emphasize that point right now? Though that's not the only emphasis. For one, that's what Scripture and the confessions emphasize is the activity of faith. But here's also another reason. Sometimes, even in Reformed and Protestant Reformed circles, there is a minimization of the activity of faith because there is a fear that if we emphasize the activity of faith, that somehow is going to bring in conditional theology into our churches. Somehow the activity of faith threatens or makes you suspicious that someone who teaches the activity of faith is of the federal vision or Roman Catholic bent for heresy. But on the basis of Scripture, beloved, I have no qualms about insisting on the truth that faith is an activity of the heart whereby a Christian clings to Jesus. Scripture speaks of faith as that activity. And secondly, Scripture also speaks of faith as a bond. It's a living or active bond. Faith is not only an activity, but it is a bond or a connection to Jesus Christ. In fact, although in this sermon I speak of activity first, chronologically in your life, the bond must come first. God must establish a bond between you and the Jesus Christ that you must cling to before you can believe and cling and hold to Him. Scripture speaks of this faith as a bond or connection with Jesus Christ when it repeatedly speaks of being in Christ, into Christ. That's the prepositional phrase I told you to watch out for in Colossians that Colossians 2 repeats again and again. I just refer you to two places. At the end of verse 5, we find one place. And the steadfastness of your faith in Christ The prepositional phrase, in Christ, is so familiar, it's so common in Scripture, we sometimes jump over it and do not dwell and think on it. But it refers to being joined to Christ. You believe into Christ. You believe being joined to Christ. That's the idea of that preposition, in Christ. Another example of faith being a bond found in Colossians 2 is the beginning of verse 7. When Paul, having spoken of faith being in Christ, he says in verse 7 to describe it more fully, rooted and built up in Him. And that word rooted points us to that, to a picture a little different from a common picture which the catechism refers to, which we'll get to in a moment. But it's a picture of a tree with roots. With roots that sink deep into the ground. And in this picture, you are the tree. The roots represent faith. And the ground, wherein are all the nutrients that the tree you need, is Jesus Christ. And what God does by His grace is He plants you like a tree in the ground Jesus Christ and causes roots to be formed between you, the tree, and the ground Jesus Christ so that there flows activity, life, from the ground Jesus Christ through the roots up into you, the tree, and that you may bring forth fruit. The roots represent the bond of faith. Or another picture, more common one that we know of, is that of the engrafting. Answer 20, only those who are engrafted into Him. That's the same preposition that the Scripture often uses to refer to faith. Engrafted into Him and receive all His benefits by a true faith. Another agricultural picture, but this time the vine, the actual tree is Jesus. And the branch is you and me. And the connection is a graft. Some sort of glue, some sort of binding that joins the branch to the vine so that from the vine there flows into us the branch all of the nutrients needed. That bond, that graft, is a picture of faith. Faith Is this living bond? Both a bond and the activity. Not like cold pipes joining us to Jesus Christ. You take a shovel and you dig underneath a tree, you're not going to find cold pipes which join the tree to the ground. What you're going to find are roots that have life in them. That even as you dig in the ground and you look at those roots, though you can't see it with your physical eye, you know there's there's a flow. There's even a suction From the soil up into the tree. That's faith. A living, organic bond. And both, the bond first, and the activity which make up faith, is a gift. Is a gift. Both are given. Both are part of faith, distinguished in this sermon, but never to be separated, and both given by his grace. Ephesians 2.8. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that, meaning all of salvation, faith included, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Or Philippians 1.29, which we consider in our series. For unto you it is given on the behalf of Christ, not only to believe, but also to believe, but also to suffer for His sake. Both the bond and the willing activity is a gift. The Armenians teach otherwise. They will argue, and you will hear them argue, and agree in the sense that faith's power, and even a bond, is a gift. But when it comes to the activity of believing, especially the activity of the will to take a hold of God and of Jesus Christ, the Arminians will insist, is by man's free will of his own. No. The Canons put it this way, Article 3 and 4, no, Heads 3 and 4, Article 14, The Armenians teach that God bestows the power to believe or the ability to believe, and then expects that man should by the exercise of his own free will consent to the terms of salvation and actually believe. And the canons say, no, not like that, rather this. He who works in man both to will and to do, and indeed all things in all, produces produces both the will to believe and the act of believing also. He forms the bond. He causes there to flow from Christ to us all that we need. And He works in us the activity, both the willing and the act of believing. He works within. Faith is both that bond and activity given by grace, given to each of His elect people, given to those whom Christ has died for. And now focusing on that activity, the Catechism explains to us in more detail what that activity is like in the experience of the child of God. Having been joined to Jesus Christ, and experiencing this holding, clinging to Jesus Christ, there are three, three descriptions of this activity of faith. To help you remember it, children, remember three words that start with C. The activity of faith is described, number one, as cognition or comprehension. The catechism uses the word knowledge. True faith is not only a certain knowledge. It's not only a certain knowledge, but it is a knowledge. A comprehension or a cognition. That is, faith involves the mind. Faith understands the doctrines of God's Word and of Jesus Christ. Faith doesn't just feel like he believes in some sort of Jesus Christ, as many people in this world claim. Faith is not a leap in the darkness and a blind acceptance of Jesus. Faith is not an irrational agreement to contradictory teachings, as many churches teach. Faith is not contrary to reason, to logic. There are mysteries in the Bible that we may not be able with our fallible human minds to put together with logic, but it's never illogical. Faith is a knowledge that God gives to us. Faith is believing or knowing Jesus Christ. Without knowledge, faith is no faith at all. Ephesians 1 verse 18 puts it this way when it describes faith. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that he might know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Or 2 Corinthians 4, six, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Faith is comprehension or cognition, knowledge. Not, of course, a comprehensive understanding if that's the case, none of us have faith because we don't know everything about God and about Jesus Christ. We have an eternity to know Him. But faith is to know Him as He has revealed Himself in His Word. Secondly, faith is conviction. Cognition or knowledge and conviction. That's what's The catechism refers to when it says in answer 21, whereby I hold for truth. Or even the word certain before knowledge. A certain knowledge. Someone who has faith doesn't merely understand what the Bible is saying about Jesus. He doesn't say, I understand, but I'm not sure I, I quite agree with What the Bible is saying, but faith says in the heart. I understand and, and I agree wholeheartedly. I know this is true. I'm convicted. Young people, children, when you study in catechism class, when you read the Bible on your own during devotions or you hear it preach, they're not just good stories. We're not talking about a mythical figure. This is not literature class. This is not story time. We're reading about true facts that you must understand not only, but your heart, by faith, must agree with. It is true, you say, with your heart. Amen, you say again and again through the sermon. I'm convicted of it. I hold for truth that which God has revealed in His Word. You see, beloved, there are many smart people in this world, many intelligent people who even grow up in the Christian faith, who study the Bible more than I do, like a science book, who could answer Bible trivia questions and even teach theology in colleges. There are such men like this and women like this. They've done all their research about the Bible, memorized great portions of it. And these people might even say, I like the Bible. It's a great piece of literature. It's intellectually stimulating. But about Scripture, and the Christ revealed in it, somehow, they say this is not truth. I don't agree with it. Someone great wrote it. But these are not historical facts. They don't have faith. Faith is cognition, it's conviction, and third, faith is confidence. That's an explanation of the activity. Conviction, cognition, and confidence. The catechism makes this last description the most important. Notice it says, not only, it is not only a certain knowledge whereby I hold for truth all that God has revealed in His Word, and but also to emphasize this point, Assured confidence, which the Holy Ghost works by the gospel in my heart. That not only to others, to describe this confidence, not only to others, but to me also, remission of sin, everlasting righteousness, and salvation are freely given by God, merely of grace, only for the sake of Christ's merit. A synonym to this confidence is assurance. Faith is a personal confidence or a personal assurance. The one who has true faith relies upon Jesus Christ, trusts in him, and knows. He didn't just die for the elect people. He did. But He died for me. He doesn't just forgive all His people. As I hear God's Word even today, this morning, I know He forgives me of all my sins freely. Not just the people in my church or my parents, even, that He has saved but me I know that that's faith. Mysteriously, that assurance of faith can sometimes increase and sometimes be weaker because faith faith is weak. But faith itself is assurance. And you ask, how do I get it? Well, we already said, it. God must give it. The Holy Spirit, the Catechism says, gives it. Before works, even, He gives it. Romans 8.16 The Spirit testifies to our spirit that by faith we are the children of God. And I know it. Don't separate faith and assurance. Many Puritans did. Many even Reformed people do this You take assurance away from faith and say you have faith, but not necessarily assurance. And that's to the misery of God's people. You believe in Jesus Christ. You hold to Him. You cling to Him as He is revealed in His Word. Then you know, by the power of His Spirit, you are saved. There is no reason to doubt. You're saved now, and you can never be lost. Believe it. He gives it to you, his people. It is necessary to have this true faith, bond and activity, an activity which is described as a cognition, conviction, and confidence. What is the necessity of this faith? First, we consider the wrong idea and then the correct idea. Why is it necessary to have such faith? Not because faith is the basis of your salvation. Not because faith is what gives you salvation or causes your salvation. The true believer, the true believer does not trust in his own faith. He does not rely on his own faith. His roots, as it were, does not sink into itself, but into the ground, Jesus Christ. Or to put it practically, he does not rely on how great his cognition and how great his conviction and how great his confidence is to save him. That's just to have faith, trust in faith. And that's no ground to stand on. Because, as you know, your faith is of itself weak. It is not true, as the, as the Arminians teach, that God lowered the standards from the Old Testament to the New Testament so that in the Old Testament He required the obedience to the law to be saved and then, as the Armenians teach in the New Testament, all he required is not obedience to the law, but faith. That's the law, really. And that those who believe, then, get their salvation by that faith, or because of that faith. True faith does not embrace itself. Or to put it strikingly, if you were to stand before Christ on Judgment Day and you were to plead not guilty because, because of your faith, and God were to judge you because of your faith and tell you, you would go straight to hell because even your faith is tainted with sin. true faith trusts in God alone. He chose me. I don't trust in myself choosing Him. That He sent Christ to die for me. That He fully paid for all my sin. And there's nothing in my hands that I bring simply to the cross that I cling. Or as the Catechism put it, all of salvation is freely given by God. Merely of grace. And only for the sake of Christ's merits. That faith is not the basis of salvation also means this, it doesn't have the smallest part. It doesn't have the smallest part in earning it it's not a condition unto salvation that is the armenian teaching that seeps into reform circles too god loves everyone they say and he offers salvation to everyone and christ died for everyone and he's earned the armenian teaches he's earned the possibility of salvation even made it available for every single person and now by the slightest movement of the will According to man's free will, that is, we must take Him, take possession of that salvation so that it ultimately depends on us, on the fulfilling of that condition of active faith. Any sort of concept like that, that makes faith even 0.1% part of earning our salvation, displaces Christ's work and make salvation dependent on the arm of flesh, the will of man. Faith is not wholly or partly the basis of our salvation, but it's necessary because it is the God-ordained way that you know and I know that we're saved. Or to put it in terms that we have been using, faith and faith alone is the God-ordained instrument through which we experience fellowship with God. If you have true faith and you're bound to Jesus Christ and He has given you the activity to cling to Him with conviction, cognition, and confidence, Faith itself doesn't save you. Faith is the opening of your eyes to know that you have been saved. You experience the joy of your salvation. The Catechism asks, are all men then as they perish in Adam saved by Christ? No. No. So who are saved? Really the question is, how do we know? How do you know you're saved? You're engrafted. And you believe by his grace. Related to that, faith is the instrument through which you receive every blessing of salvation. Not just to experience fellowship with God, to know that you're saved, but every blessing of salvation. Colossians 2, verse 3 says. In whom, there's that preposition in again, in Christ are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All the treasures, really, of salvation. Verse 9, for in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Every virtue, every characteristic of God in Jesus Christ. Forgiveness, assurance, sanctification, the ability to live a holy life to believe itself all the blessings of salvation through this instrument, this bond of faith. We need to be joined by faith to Christ. We need to be bound to Him like a branch is grafted into the tree. It's not by some other instrument through which we receive any blessing of salvation. It's by faith. Faith alone. To apply it practically, yes, God's people, you are going to do good works. Produce fruit. You're going to live a thankful life, and you must even. But it's not the fruit of good works which draw from Jesus Christ any blessing of salvation. It's not the good works themselves. Though you will be in the way of good works. Though it will be as you're doing good works. It is only as your heart is bound to Jesus and draws from Jesus that you have every blessing of salvation. It's through that bond alone. Let the past years of controversy make that clear to our minds. Let us learn that. Let us hold to that. Never give that up. It is the teaching of God's Word. What is the object of that faith? Well, that's implied throughout. It is Jesus Christ. The person of Jesus Christ. What does our faith cling to? Who are we joined to? The person of Jesus Christ. Only those who are engrafted into Him, we read in the catechism, receive all His benefits by a true faith. Let me make clear. Your faith is not in the church. As true as an institution may be, and though the institution may be used by God to explain to you who this Jesus Christ is, that does not automatically make you a believer in Jesus Christ. Faith is not in the church. Faith is in Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus Christ, the King of the church. Children, young people, your faith is not to cling to parents. Oh, they believe who Jesus Christ is. Whatever they say is who I believe. No, your faith is in the person of Jesus Christ. Yes, as your parents teach you, but cling not to your parents, but to Jesus alone. Your faith is not in the minister who preaches about Jesus Christ, who even is the mouthpiece of Jesus Christ. Do not cling to me. Do not rest on me. Do not say, yes, I believe. Whatever he says. No. Your object of your faith is Jesus Christ alone. Is not even this. It's not the doctrinal formulations that you see on paper. Oh yes, we said it right here. We said it right here. We said it right here. Don't cling to the doctrinal formulations even though the doctrinal formulations may explain the true Jesus Christ. You cling to the Jesus Christ behind the doctrinal formulations. It's to the person of Jesus Christ as real as the person sitting next to you in the pew who is present even by His Spirit. This morning, cling to Him, to Him alone. He is the object, must be the only object of your faith. The Jesus Christ who was crucified, who is risen, who is ascended. The Jesus Christ who created in six days. The Jesus Christ who both justifies and sanctifies The Jesus Christ who has done the work for you and is doing the work in you. That Jesus Christ who is revealed in the Word. Make that last point, beloved, because there are many who say I believe in Jesus Christ. And again and again, we have to Ask, well, which Jesus Christ? The Jesus Christ is revealed in His Word. Not the one that winks at sin, but the Holy Lord Jesus Christ. Not the Jesus Christ who only forgives us for sin, the Jesus Christ who sends His Spirit to sanctify us, to live unto Him. That Jesus Christ is revealed in the Bible. And yes, as we go through the catechism and the Apostles' Creed, that Jesus Christ is explained, secondarily to the Scriptures, is explained in our creeds and confessions. True faith is in this Christ Jesus. Do you have this faith? Only those who have true faith are saved. Believe. And may God give to each one of each of his elect people that faith for the first time, if necessary. And strengthen that faith in Him. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. It is our hope that it was edifying to you. Please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to them to be notified as future messages are published. We welcome you to join us on Sundays for worship at 9:30 a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m. You can find more information about us at our website, hopeprchurch.org. Also, you can follow us on our Hope Protestant Reformed Church Facebook page. And you can email the Reform Witness Committee with any questions or feedback at hoperwc at gmail.com. Thank you.